The clock is ticking for agencies to comply with new guidance from the Office of Management and Budget on endpoint detection and response. The memo adds to guidance on zero trust, trusted internet connections, and many more. Peter Romnus is cybersecurity program's lead for U.S. public sector for Cisco Systems. Cisco Systems is a sponsor of today's Daily Scoop podcast. Peter, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. Zero trust is everywhere, and every agency is thinking about how they're going to approach it. Are we at a risk that since we have a cyber EO, we have input from CISA, we have input from NIST, we have guidance from OMB, that there are maybe too many cooks in the kitchen when it comes to zero trust and agencies are not sure which direction to go? Thanks for coming on, Peter. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I kind of have mixed emotions on that. You know, I've been doing cybersecurity for quite a while. And at first, we are always screaming, look at me, look at me, listen to me. We got to worry about this stuff. And and it's kind of the, you know, we're kind of the dog that caught the car now, um, and everybody wants to be a part of it. And while that is an awesome thing um, to have that kind of attention, sometimes it's a, a little bit of a lot of people in your socks that that um, have an opinion, and it and it makes things a little harder. But I think I'll I'll err on this on uh, really being happy about the fact that they're interested finally, and that that maybe we'll get some real good uh, security out of this for our country. Do you see zero trust or any of the other techniques that agencies are considering um, driving the federal government as an enterprise or agencies individually toward finally getting ahead of the curve on adversaries or agencies continuing to be kind of reactive rather than proactive, Peter? Yeah, well, you know, zero trust is this huge buzzword in the industry, right? It's it's um, in many ways, I think a lot of people are sick of it. Um, but I see it as is a little bit different than that is that, oh, my gosh, it's it's a term that people are latching onto and it's bringing attention to this new way of looking at security. Um, and it's not something that I, I can sell you or that any of uh, the other uh, people out there selling cybersecurity can sell. It's a it's an architecture. It's a way of looking at things. I have a good friend who calls it a lifestyle choice. Um, and, you know, yes, we're seeing zero trust come from the uh, White House executive order. Uh, OMB, CISA, NIST are all putting out uh, what they want on, you know, all kinds of guidance on zero trust. Um, but I think it was something that was coming anyway, and it needs to be done. Um, and so, you know, this guidance is all good. And luckily, they're all agreeing with each other. You know, it's not they're not doing it in a vacuum. They're all talking to each other. And, and boy, have they been prolific. And that's where I wanted to go next. Are you confident that the messages that agencies are hearing from these various sources is harmonious? It sounds like it's that they are to you. Yeah, I think it is harmonious. Um, and, you know, I, there was a conference here in D.C. last week called Billington Cybersecurity Summit. Um, and a lot of these themes rang true there also. Um, you know, zero trust was a huge topic. A, a big part of zero trust is multi-factor authentication. And I think almost every session I was in mentioned uh, multi-factor authentication and how effective that can be. Does zero trust accomplish the balance that practitioners and end users have always fought about, which is obviously the more difficult you make it for the adversary to get into the system, the more difficult a little bit it becomes for end users yeah. to use it. Is this striking that balance that those two sides have been button heads about for years, Peter? I think Zero Trust is helping realize that balance. I don't think it in itself does. Um, I think the reaction that industry and uh, the users are having uh, is making it easier. 
Um, I, I think uh, users are seeing the need for more security, so they're willing to do things like multi-factor authentication. But also, industry has made multi-factor authentication much easier. Um, and you know, no longer do you have to carry a key fob with you and and get it. You don't always have to have a text sent you with numbers that you got to retype in. You know, you can have a push sent to your phone, and all you do is click the the green check mark, and that's your your second factor. So even users who have always been resistant to multi-factor are saying, hey, that wasn't bad. And also I can see the security that I'm getting from it. I imagine it's also helpful that uh, two-factor authentication is becoming much more common in the private sector uh, yeah. things that people do on a day-to-day -day basis. They kind of get how it works now, right, Peter? Well, yeah. And, you know, all these major breaches, of uh, they're starting to see a need for it. And, you know, I saw an ad today, of, you know, with, with uh, a person saying, oh, I got, I got free parking at this hotel by giving them your email address uh, and your mother's maiden name and things like that. So we're even seeing it in culture, right? So it's becoming more accepted. Um, at the same time, it's becoming easier. Is the cultural piece of it maybe the more important piece than the technolo technological piece too, Peter, that folks, since they're used to it, they're more willing to at least cooperate with it if they don't like it uh, and not try to figure out ways around it? Yeah, technology is always the easiest part. You know, getting people to follow and and getting them to accept it is always the hardest part. You know, I, I had a friend who used to say the hard part is easy and the soft part is hard. <laughs> What's changed that? Is it just the technological advances that companies have made? You, you said a moment ago two-factor uh, two authentication is easier than it used to be. Or is there something else in that mix, do you think, Peter? I think it's it's the uh, the user's seeing the need for it you know they've they've felt pain in their life because they didn't have it uh, you know maybe they've had one of their accounts hijacked by somebody um, and so they're willing to take that one step that's now easier you sent me a note before we had this conversation you used the term in that note i want you to tell the listeners about and that is the term left of bang what does that mean it's a cool term what does that mean and how does it apply to the topic at hand, Peter? Well, this, this term came up last week and we've been hearing it for a couple of years in the cybersecurity industry. Um, and I think it came from um, disposing of uh, improvised explosive devices and that, you know, when you start looking at taking care of a problem, you look to the left side or before the problem happens. Um, and so in uh, an IED, it's, it's what are the things that lead up to that, that explosion going off? So that's left of bang. Mm -hmm. um, and in cybersecurity, it's looking at the things that you can do before you're breached um, and all of the preventative things that you should be spending more time on rather than just blocking breaches. Has the preventative checklist changed at all, given any of the things that we've talked about, two-factor authentication and zero trust architecture and all of that jazz? Does that look different for a CIO or a CISO now in a public sector organization than maybe it did a year ago or two years ago or, or so, so on? Yeah, I mean, I mean, one of the key things about zero trust is that you're limiting access to uh, every uh, asset in your organization, right? And, and so only people who earn trust can get into that. And if a bad uh, actor gets into your environment, then they can't uh, go from one place to another or, or you know, propagate through your network. Mm -hmm. um, and so this whole idea of zero trust, I think, is driving that, that goal um, and, and really making it so that 
you know, if, if you are doing those things on the front end, then you're not going to have the, the boom that we're trying to prevent. If we use that one year or two year time horizon that I just alluded to, and we go back a year or two, zero trust was still kind of on the horizon or maybe even over the horizon uh, at that point. What's on the horizon or over the horizon for a public sector leader today that she should be thinking about? Maybe it's not ready for prime time yet, but is something that's coming along that she should make herself smart about now. Yeah, well, you know, zero trust isn't over. Zero trust is still something that's going to take a while, and it's it's not a one and done thing. It's it's a journey. Um, but I but it's becoming accepted. It's 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 on the road. Um, I think the thing that we're starting to see is this ability to um, make the job of a cybersecurity defender a better job. Um, make it, uh, you know, automate uh, response, automate visibility and control in the environment, make sure that they can see not only what's in their data center and their network, but also all of their data and their people that are all over the place, you know, in the cloud, remote, all of those things. Um, I like to talk about it as it's what we want to do is make the job of a cyber defender suck less. <laughs> Always a noble goal, Peter. It's great yeah. to have you on the program. Thanks for your time today. My pleasure.